between the lies. And welcome back to the Between the Lies podcast, where we deep dive into whatever subject we may find our way into at that given time. As always, I am your host, and today we're going to be talking about a very sad and dark subject, but it's something that absolutely needs to be heard. I had plans to do a different episode of the podcast, but in the past week, learning about the Maui and Lahaina wildfires and the way it's affected Hawaii in the way that it has affected it. Um, and some of the ulterior motives that I believe are present for this type of event to happen. We will go down the rabbit hole a little bit, and we are going to get into the world of conspiracy, but when you hear some of these coincidences, some of these things that line up about this event that just took place in Maui, I believe you guys will be equally as mind-blown as I have been. I just ask you to listen to the facts Listen to the things I've learned in the past four or five days. I actually got in touch with two locals from Hawaii who, of course, know way more about this situation than you or I could ever know. You hear things on the mainstream media, but we know some of that is like with a grain of salt because the mainstream media puts out narratives they want to put out. And through talking with these locals, I've learned that some of the mainstream media reporting on this is completely false. And I do believe in ways that we are being pushed toward a certain conclusion about the situation when we need to stop, rewind the tapes and say, okay, how did this happen? Why did this truly happen? How do we prevent this from happening? And we just need to hear all the facts. So let's start with some of the facts. Lahaina is one of the most sought after real estate spots in all of the country, really all of the world. It is one of the original capitals of the original Hawaiian kingdom. It actually served as the official capital from 1820 until 1845. So this is a sacred place, and the locals didn't want it to change. The locals did not want to be bought out by these bigger companies. Now, for years and years, these bigger companies think Vanguard and BlackRock and these companies that own most of the money in the world have been trying to acquire these properties. And I'm sure paying far over sometimes or trying to pay far over market value for some of these properties, especially in Lahaina. But the locals, considering that they've built their life there, it is such a sacred place in Hawaii they haven't wanted to give it up, and they haven't gave it up. And that's why this type of event you have to look into because we know that there are many coincidences with many of these big tragedies. I won't go into details about the other tragedies because this is the focal point, but there are many coincidences and red flags that come up along the way. And when you look at these type of events, the biggest thing you have to assess is who is this serving for this type of event to take place? Who benefits from this the most? We certainly know that the locals are not benefiting from this, and we'll get into some of the details of that as well. But let's talk about the people who benefit from this, because unfortunately, it's these million and billion dollar investment companies, and most of them have actually already reached out to locals. There is hundreds of stories of locals the day after this wildfire they would know that their home was burnt to the actual ground and have a phone call from one of these companies saying, hey, I know you just went through such a horrible tragedy, but we're interested. I mean, what are you asking for it? I mean, that is the biggest slap in the face you could ever imagine. It is despicable. 
And I pledge, if not on this podcast, but on my TikTok as well, when I find out some of these company names, I will be putting them on blast as well. Because to call somebody a day or two after their entire world, let alone their house, their entire world was just burnt down. And they're just trying to pick up the pieces and they're in shock and they're traumatized and they're missing family members. And you have these companies reaching out to them to try to buy the real estate. That in itself was the first red flag that I really thought about and said, okay, that's just sick and something isn't right about this. I also dug through some of the press conferences from Hawaiian governor, his name being Josh Green, and I found a couple of his responses to be extremely alarming. The first is when he was asked about continuing tourism in the areas affected as well as the areas surrounding the wildfires, and this was his response. When pressed with the direct question of if tourism will continue amidst the horrible tragedy that has occurred in these wildfires, he responded that tourism cannot stop because it is an important part of Hawaii and funds that go into it and it is not something that realistically he can just shut off at any given time. He even likened it to COVID and said we learned through COVID that we can't just shut down everything at the flick of a switch. Well, if you can shut things down for an airborne virus, and there's a lot to be said about COVID and everything that was shut down because of that, but nonetheless, if you can shut the entire world down for an airborne virus, I think you can have enough heart to say, let me shut tourism down for at least the next week so that we can direct all of our efforts toward the people who were affected and the families that were affected and broken apart by this horrible tragedy. But that's just me. I just find it completely distasteful, and it kind of shows you where the governor and his friends and conglomerates' heads are at this time. He's even made other remarks about rebuilding Maui and Lahaina and also said that it will be a new Lahaina. And we'll get into that as well because this has been a spot that has been sought after, like I mentioned earlier, as well as it has been on many plans to be what they call a smart city. That would mean that every store you would need, every pharmacy, anything you would need would be within 15 minutes of you. And this is a part of the climate change effort. And this is a place where they're looking to turn it into a smart city with all electric vehicles and the new future. And this is a way of almost bringing that in. So he has not denied that he will turn Lahaina into that. He actually, in an interview, has also mentioned that he's looking into any option for the state to acquire the land and that he would then give it back to the families. But we know these politicians say one thing and mean another. And truly, it is horrible to see that he has already made a few shocking comments which point to changing Lahaina and not building it back to what it was. He is not dismissing the fact that he wants to change it and have people from the state and bigger companies come in and buy it. So that's a red flag in itself. You see where his head's at, and it seems that he makes some real backhanded comments at times. But shifting gears a little bit, I'd just like to talk about some of the original coincidences and red flags that stood out to me and made me consider that maybe this event was a man-made event and not some type of natural disaster like we're being told endlessly on the mainstream news and media. Again, I am looking at the facts I've been given and making my own personal opinion. I stress to anyone listening to this, whether you believe this theory or not, if you're listening to the podcast... 
listen to the facts, look into the facts, research the facts, and make your own decision. But this information absolutely needs to be out there, and it needs to be heard, and that's why I'm doing this podcast tonight. So in late January, early February of this year, 2023, there were green lasers that were spotted over the sky in Hawaii. You can literally look this up right now while you're listening on Google. It's there for everyone to see. The green laser beams were initially speculated to be that of NASA. That was, of course, until NASA itself dispelled the rumors and claimed that they were not responsible for it. The green lights beaming through the night sky were originally spotted on the Subaru Asahi Star Camera, which is an ultra-high sensitivity camera on the summit of Mauna Kea, which is an inactive volcano located on the main island of Hawaii. Now, the steep climb and high altitude of Mauna Kea makes it one of the most ideal places in the entire world to observe the sky. The camera on the summit is half owned by Hawaii, but it is also co-owned by the National Astronomical Observatory of Japan. When these green laser beams suddenly appeared on the feed, of course, all those viewing the feed had questions, naturally. And the clip went viral due to it being such an anomaly in terms of sights that people usually see in the sky. The National Astronomical Observatory of Japan would tweet stating that based on their calculations, this must have come from NASA's ISAT-2 satellite. Now, they would later take back that statement and state that it was more likely a Chinese satellite that accidentally caused the visual anomaly. But this was only after they were spoken to by NASA itself. So I just want everyone to remember that initially reports were that it was a NASA satellite, and then according to NASA and the company that initially reported it was NASA's, it wasn't theirs at all. It was a Chinese satellite, just like that. And many of you will remember from late January, early February of 2023, we had the infamous Chinese spy balloon scandal as well, which was all over the news, and I feel like even if you were living under a rock, you probably heard about it ten times which is another coincidence that I found along the way. Is it possible that NASA just blamed China conveniently? I mean, in terms of speculating, we have known NASA to not be the most truthful organization for a long time. Sure, 40, 50 years ago, people took what NASA said at face value, but people these days are waking up every single day to the fact that these organizations that operate within our own government are never working for us, and instead they are actively working against us. So in my opinion, it is an absolute possibility that NASA would have lied about this and covered this up, even if the laser beams had come from their own satellite. It was also initially reported that these laser beams were some type of mapping technology that's known as geomapping. Again, all of these reports were dismissed after NASA scientists talked to the observatory in Japan, poof, their tweet was gone, and now out of nowhere, they decided it was a Chinese satellite instead. So let's keep that in mind as we continue to talk about the red herrings and red flags I have found along the way in this tragic event. But I will connect some of the dots with geomapping and the green laser beams in just a bit. First, I just want to talk about the actual wildfire itself and some of the weird and peculiar things that were noticed by locals who, of course, like I mentioned before, they know more about the atmosphere and the weather and how it affects Hawaii and all of its islands. They know more about it than we ever will know, and let's just keep that in mind as we continue this podcast. First and foremost, the mainstream media narrative is that Hurricane Dora swept over Hawaii, causing 80 to 100 mile per hour winds, which caused downed power lines to spark and ignite a fire, which would end up spreading and covering one mile per minute. 
Like I mentioned earlier in the show, I have been in contact with two locals who live in Hawaii and know this place like the back of their hand, as well as their families and friends do. And I just want to go over a few of the odd things that were noticed about this storm that was different from any other storm that has ever hit Hawaii. First, let's talk about the wind and the direction from which it came in from. The wind approached Maui from the mountainside. There are videos and photos and plenty of evidence to corroborate this, rather than it coming from the ocean side. I found this in itself peculiar because hurricanes would typically approach by way of ocean. This is because hurricanes form over oceans, often beginning as a tropical wave. In terms of the actual data, it is not completely impossible for a hurricane to form over land, but it is said that it's less than a 1 or 2% probability of that ever happening anywhere. I've also seen videos of locals of Hawaii claiming that in their entire lives living there, they have never seen a storm come from that direction. So I just wanted to point that out to start. This is an anomaly in terms of where the storm came from. That's number one. Secondly, the hurricane supposedly hit and caused these high-speed winds, but what about rain and what about flooding? While it is true that a hurricane can happen in extremely dry climates, we know that Hawaii in general has water everywhere, and typically with a hurricane hitting this system, you would see flooding at the very least, if not rain. And of course, in this particular case, no flooding or rain happened, which would have ultimately caused the fire to die down earlier, or maybe not happen at all. I just found that very odd, very peculiar to start. Now, local testimony, as well as some of the videos I have seen regarding the Maui wildfires, mention the winds being a red flag not only from where they originated from, but the fact that some areas were hit much harder with much faster winds than others. This is also an anomaly because people who have lived there their entire lives, like I mentioned, are coming out with testimony about the winds being at totally different speeds just miles away. With the absolute worst of the winds hitting Lahaina, which I'll remind you again, is the most expensive and sought-after real estate in all of Hawaii. Realistically, when you think about it in your head, it doesn't even seem logical to someone who knows nothing about wind or storms or hurricanes. It is possible that miles away the winds could be at different speeds, but not at such an alarming and rapid rate. That just doesn't add up. It is a fact that parts of Maui did not experience these high winds such as Lahaina did, which is a red flag because simply it doesn't happen that way. In terms of the official explanation we got in terms of how the wildfire started, one thing that didn't sit right with me was this. Hawaiian Electric, which is the company that supplies the electric in the area the wildfires affected, Hawaiian Electric is publicly stating that they had no shutoff method to their electricity. So PSENG and some of these bigger companies, they have shutoff methods in the case of huge natural disaster to avoid power lines going down, surging, electrocuting people, starting fires. Hawaiian Electric is claiming that they have and had not had any shutoff method, so there was no way to avoid this. So basically, no matter what, no matter what the winds were, they could not turn the electricity off even if they wanted to. I simply don't buy that. I cannot believe that an electric company does not have safety provisions and regulations in place to protect people from electrical fire, starting in the case of extreme wind and storm damage. That just doesn't make any logical sense to me. There are even alarms and text alerts that are set in place for Hawaii in general in these type of extreme weather events to alert people to flee. These alerts were never sent out, 
There was never an alarm sound, and there were no text messages ever received. So the locals literally had to look out their window or hear by word of mouth that this was happening, and this caused many to wait to flee. And because of this, many deaths, many deaths could have been prevented by sounding these alarms or getting these text messages out properly. But we'll go into that a little later. In talking to some of the locals I've been in contact with, I learned that these alert systems have been flawed and terrible for a very long time, and that it is not unheard of that they would fail in the event of an actual disaster. Some proof of this comes in a news story from 2018 that was sent to me from my local connection. This is Wikipedia, but was also experienced by the people of Hawaii as a whole. So this is straight off the website. In the morning of January 13th, 2018, an alert was accidentally issued via the emergency alert system and wireless emergency alert system over TV, radio, and cell phones in the U.S. state of Hawaii, instructing citizens to seek out shelter due to an incoming ballistic missile. It concluded this is not a drill. The message was sent out at 8.07 a.m. local time. The state had not authorized civil defense outdoor warning sirens. So at the bottom of that specific piece of information is an important part that I wrote down in my notes a few times. It says the state had not authorized civil defense outdoor warning sirens to go off. Now this in itself tells you much of what you need to know about the state that was in charge of turning these outdoor sirens on, as well as getting the text messages out to warn people of oncoming storms and avoid these fatalities. So without a doubt, whether you believe that this was a natural disaster or some type of direct energy weapon, which we'll get into in a bit, at the very least there is blood on the hands of the public offices of Hawaii in this situation. They failed the people time and time again in this situation, and by not having the proper regulations in place, I mean, realistically, if they handled this situation better, we're talking about maybe 200 being dead instead of thousands. But that's what we're looking at now because of the lack of regulations and the lack of handling this situation properly. So I spoke earlier about Josh Green, who is Hawaii's governor, and it trickles down to the police force as well, who I believe need to be asked these very important questions and pressed about some of the mishandling of this situation as a whole, whether that be because of poorly ran systems or these things were done purposely. They need to face the music. They need to answer not only for the people of Hawaii, but the entire country because they failed the entire state of Hawaii and they failed at their jobs. And again, I want to remind you guys that when Josh Green has been asked about rebuilding Lahaina and the parts of Maui that were affected, he has smugly responded that they are building a new Lahaina. So at the very least, they are using this disaster as a way to usher in their true plans for the real estate that this disaster destroyed. And they just aren't hiding it at all. It's right in front of us. Originally, when I first heard about this conspiracy, I was driven to cover it off of trying to get the true facts heard. Because as I always mention, we know we simply aren't going to get the true facts from the mainstream media. And that's why I feel a sense of importance when covering a subject like this. Because I want to report the facts. And most importantly, I'm allowed to report the facts. And I have nobody watching over me, telling me what to say or what to not say. Independent journalism, whether that be a podcast or TikTok or YouTube channel or anything, is so important for that very reason. Independent journalists most times have nothing to gain. They are just looking into the story and telling it how they see it. The original video that I actually saw about this topic was suggesting that a direct energy weapon could have been responsible for the spark to the initial flame that started this horrible wildfire. 
Now, in the type of research that I do, I simply consider all things in the beginning, and then I go where the research leads me. So completely unbiased, I had decided to research this topic and make a couple quick TikTok videos about some of the things that simply didn't add up to me. It was then that I was contacted by a local who lives on the main island in Hawaii, and I am so grateful that she got in contact with me because of her, I was able to gain the true information and not have it filtered through the media in general, as many things so often are. And when you ask about direct energy weapons, you might ask, what is that? The definition is here. Directed energy weapons such as lasers, remember the lasers in February, use energy fired at the speed of light. These weapons can produce force that ranges from deterrent to damaging to downright destructive. Many countries, including the United States, are researching their use. Now, in the year of 2023 alone, the Pentagon has admitted to spending $1 billion towards the research into these direct energy weapons. So, if I've learned anything from doing this type of research, I can tell you that first off, the government and military have probably possessed direct energy weapons for 50 plus years. And how do I know this? Of course, they're acting as if they're just researching them now, but if you compare this to the recent UFO admissions that has been on TV for the entire world to see, you will see that our government lies to us every step of the way, and they've known about aliens for a long time and lied to our faces for a long time and now are just out and about admitting it. Therefore, if they're admitting to researching these direct energy weapons, it is absolutely reasonable to conclude that they are already in possession of said energy weapons. Now, earlier when I mentioned the green laser beams in the Hawaiian atmosphere, it definitely becomes eerie when you remember that originally these were attributed to NASA, and then NASA would blame it on the Chinese. Again, those initial reports also said that the lasers were something known as geomapping, which is mapping out a landscape for a radar system. So in my personal opinion, it is absolutely feasible and possible that a direct energy weapon could have been used in this horrible tragedy, especially when you look at all of the coincidences and red flags. Plus, the plans for Lahaina's future, which have come out in the days after this horrible tragedy, that they're not even denying. Were the green laser beams simply NASA mapping out the landscape? Is it possible that the initial spark of fire was caused by an energy weapon and not some power line that mysteriously fell down? I cannot completely conclude that this is definitely how the fire started, of course, but I can tell you that the speculation mixed with Hawaiian Electric's complete tone-deaf statements definitely make me, and many others in this world, wonder if that's a real possibility. In fact, the statement from Hawaiian Electric basically puts the blame on only their company. They seem to be some type of scapegoat in this entire situation, and I'm simply not going to just ignore that. So obviously, some of this information can be quite eye-opening and jarring, hard to hear, and hard to accept, and I completely understand that. But again, I ask you to look over these facts that I'm presenting to you and come up with your own conclusion. Now, more about some of the steps that weren't taken by police, just to name a few. In a few of the videos we've witnessed on TikTok, etc., of the damage caused by the fire, there were hundreds of cars that were completely torched. The specific images were from Front Street in Lahaina. This was the site of maybe the most heartless and gutless act from the police in this entire tragedy. Police were given direct orders not to let residents and locals leave, and actually forced them to turn around and go back into the flames. 
They were then faced with only one true decision, to jump in the water and tread water. Keep in mind, by this point, the air was extremely contaminated with thick smoke from the fires. Many people lost their lives in those waters due to smoke inhalation or not being able to tread water for that long. When police were pressed by the locals about why they were not letting them pass, they responded back, We are just following orders. So when it comes to the mishandling of this entire tragedy, we can go back and forth forever about whether it was a direct energy attack or somehow it started naturally. But what we cannot argue, and I will not argue, is that this situation was grossly mishandled by the state, the police, the politicians, etc. Quite simply, if the police had elected to let people through, they would have saved hundreds of lives, and they chose not to, and that is what we are facing. This act in itself to not let the people out of the blaze is a massacre, it is genocide, and I refuse to call it anything else. Of course, it is true they were just following orders, which brings us to the police chief who called the shot. John Polisher, and I may be totally ruining his pronunciation of his name, but he doesn't even deserve a correct pronunciation. He is the police chief of Maui and has been since 2021. And he actually happens to be one of the captains who was a front man facing the fallout of the Las Vegas mass shooting in 2017, which was the worst mass shooting this country has ever seen. I could talk for hours about the red flags and red herrings that have popped up in the aftermath of the Las Vegas shooting. There were reports of multiple shooters, and it is known well in conspiracy circles as a very questionable happening in terms of one man being involved, or two, or three, or multiple, and the true motive for the horrible tragedy that occurred that day in Las Vegas. But I digress. Simply on a statistical basis, what is the chance that the former police captain who oversaw the Las Vegas shooting happens to be the police chief of Maui in the deadliest wildfire that this country has ever seen? It seems like whether I'm covering murder mystery or conspiracy or anything in between, I always hearken back to this simple statement. How many coincidences until we realize that these things are not coincidences at all? I mean, what are the statistical chances of that? Even someone who doesn't believe at all in any of these theories would have to admit that this is a little too coincidental to not be on the red flag radar. Any way that you look at it, the Maui police chief has blood on his hands, as does his entire department and the government entities that allowed this to occur. In my deep researching of this topic, I also came across a thousand-page document that was written well before the fires took place. This document simply states that Maui and Lahaina are going to be turned into smart cities, which I mentioned earlier. So when you hear the governor saying it will be a new Lahaina, it is clear exactly what is meant there. Even if this was some random natural disaster, which I personally don't believe, it seems to have served many masters and accomplished an agenda that has been in the works for a very long time. Meanwhile, the locals who did survive are being denied aid from FEMA and Red Cross unless they sign extensive paperwork which some believe to possibly be waiving the rights to their land in which they own, and of course these entities are trying to acquire them by hook or by crook. For that reason, many locals are refusing to sign the paperwork, and therefore FEMA and American Red Cross, as well as other big organizations, are holding out donations, whether that be food, medication, etc. So you mean to tell me that denying people life-saving, life-preserving medicine, food, water, etc. is not a war crime? 
like I've been saying and will continue saying, the people who grossly mishandled this situation have done so in an obvious fashion, and they deserve to face the consequences and face formal charges in a court of law. I even saw an interview with a member of the Maui Police Department where the officer is asked if he could go back in time, would he then sound the alarm instead of leaving the citizens to fend for themselves, in which he answers, no I wouldn't change it because those alarms are outside alarms that are only used for tsunamis. So you mean to tell me that because of a loophole in a safety system that states only a tsunami can be caused to sound this alarm, that it is somehow grounds to not warn your own people of their impending doom? You mean to tell me that if that alarm sounded properly that hundreds if not thousands of lives couldn't have been saved? There is blood on the hands of every single corrupt organization, officer, and politician that's been involved, and that's not so much a conspiracy at all. That's an absolute fact. Now, in terms of the direct energy weapon, that is an absolute possibility in this case, at least in my own opinion. There are also wind farms that are not far from the immediate proximity that the wildfires took place at that are being blamed by locals and independent investigators as a possible cause for these high winds that, again, didn't take the form of usual high winds. At some places, they were 80 to 100 miles per hour. Just a mile down the road, they were much less. So logistically, statistically, it really just doesn't make any sense. To put this in layman's terms, there are far too many red flags in the outbreak of this fire and the general handling of the entire situation that lend lots of credence to the theory of this being a direct attack and not some natural disaster. In researching this case and deep diving so much into this information, I couldn't help but get swept up by the emotions I was feeling from just talking to the locals I talked to or seeing some of the videos about people's entire worlds, their entire home just being burnt to the ground in what seemed like a split second. I could go on and on about the red flags and red herrings that I've seen, and I'm sure there are many more to come. When we talk about Lahaina and what that will become in the future, that will answer all of our questions. If this becomes a smart city like we talked about is in the plans, then you know for a fact that this was a man-made disaster and it wasn't natural at all. I personally believe in my heart this could have been a direct energy attack and a direct attack on the Hawaiian people who are very prideful and don't want to sell their land and still don't want to sell their land. So I hope to see everybody band together, whether that be TikTok, YouTube, podcasts, conspiracy podcasts, any podcast. I mean, I just feel that this is worth reporting on. I just feel that the truth needs to be spread in this case. There's much more to this case. I probably will report on this case in the very near future because I don't believe it's over by any means. I encourage everybody listening, as always, do your own research. Come to your own conclusions. In terms of donations for the Hawaiian people, I urge you all to stay away from Red Cross and FEMA because we know unless these people are signing these extensive contracts, they simply aren't helping them, which is a war crime in itself. Now, there is one movement I would like to suggest. The Kahana Hub is uh, established in Hanakawai at the moment, and that is an important organization. It is a private organization that, of course, is helping people because they want to help, and they want to extend the olive branch and extend the family and show people love through this hard and trying time. As always, thank you guys for listening to the Between the Lies podcast. I'm proud to be able to bring you this information because so much of this information needs to be heard on a global scale. 
Thanks as always for listening. Until next time.